Welcome to Future of Tech, hosted by Avishai Sharlin, Division President of Amdocs Technology. In this podcast, Avishai sits down with some of the most innovative minds in technology to learn how they are disrupting the present and what kind of impact they hope to have in the future. From the machine learning programs that are solving some of the world's biggest problems to what AI can do to help fight biological bottlenecks in human thinking, no topic is off limits. So sit back, relax, and maybe take some notes because what you hear on this show might just be a glimpse into the future. Those who do future studies know that there are an infinite number of possible futures. With infinity as a baseline, how does one prepare for what's to come or predict what will come next? On this two-part episode of Future of Tech, Dr. David Pasig, a renowned futurist, explains that future studies is less about predicting the future and more about understanding the present in order to avoid negative outcomes and enhance positive ones. Here in part one, Dr. Pasig explains the basics of hunting for patterns that might help to predict the future. And he explains exactly why and how humans are built to use technology as a way to break free of the prisons of time and space that currently confine us all. Plus, he gives a prediction about how we might start thinking about gravity a little bit differently, not too long from now. Enjoy and tune in for part two next week. Future of Tech is brought to you by Amdocs Tech. Amdocs Tech is Amdocs' R&D and technology center, paving the way to a better connected future by creating open, innovative, best-in-class products and continuously evolving the way we work, learn, and live. To learn more about Amdocs, visit the Amdocs technology page on LinkedIn. So hello, uh, David, and in today's episode, I'm happy to have uh, Professor David Pesig, who is uh, futuristic. I believe I read all of your books. Uh, maybe I missed one, but uh, I hope I read all of them. Well, very good student. <laughs> I am. Um, and looking uh, forward for this, uh, for this chat for a long time. So many questions I have. And maybe before we start, for those who, who are a bit, you know, far away, what, what does it mean futuristic? Or how, how do you define this kind of uh, field in science? Well, uh, future studies are a branch of a different, uh, another uh, scientific field, which is called uh, systems thinking. We are actually trying to understand how systems are evolving. Uh, the basic idea or the basic assumption in future studies is that there is uh, imminent logic within uh, systems, be it uh, technological systems, uh, political systems, social systems, it doesn't matter. And whenever we stumble upon a logic, not, it's not an easy thing to understand how the logic uh, you know, behind uh, systems. But when we stumble upon a logic, we tend to put it on uh, charts, we give it the validity, scientific validity, and with those kind of models, we're trying to figure out the next stage of the system. And that's basically what we call futures studies. It's not the uh, futurism or whatever. 
because we believe that there is infinite futures or there are infinite futures. What we are trying to do is to clarify the different possible and probable uh, scenarios in order not to, you know, to understand what might happen. I don't think there is a humankind, a human being nowadays that really knows what's going to happen five minutes from now. The whole idea is to figure out what we should do in order either to avoid what we believe or think it's a negative uh, scenario or enhance what we think or believe is a positive scenario. So the whole idea of futures thinking or future studies in, is not to study the future, is to understand a little bit better the present. That's the whole issue. Or if you wish, uh, we were brought up to understand or to believe that if we are to under, really uh, understand what's happening in the present, we better go in and uh, study the past. What we uh, say is that it, that's not enough. We need to take a look at the present also from the future in order to see how we can uh, influence what we call the future. So going back to the basics, the futures studies, did you foresee the pandemic? Did you see that COVID is going to hit us in such a manner or something similar to it? Because I, I do recall that you did foresee some other events in history, which we'll speak about later on. You know, I, I've been uh, asked so many times this question. Thank God I have uh, taped an interview in December, okay? And if you wish, I can send it to you. It was an interview in the, the Israeli uh, the TV channel, and it was uh, a, a, an hour-long uh, panel in which we were trying to sum up the last decade trying to understand the, 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 the next decade in different uh, subject areas. At the end of that uh, panel, the interviewer asks me, well, can you tell us something that nobody, nobody, no one is speaking about? And then I start you know, explaining that we are about to, to uh, experience a pandemic that is going to change technologies and, and infrastructures and, 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 and the geopolitics. <laughs> I was something like a three minutes, uh, uh, speech. Thank God I have it on tape. <laughs> so in a nutshell, what, what did you say beside the fact that we're going to be hit by it? How, how did you portray the, um, the present back well, then, the future? This is, it was obvious, obvious that it's only a matter of time because we are at a very important uh, stage uh, in history in which as humans, we, we, we eat a lot of uh, of animals. It was only a matter of time that something will just, you know, jump from an animal somewhere in the world and will break havoc in our physiology. That was the case for millennia. But this time it's really very uh, global. And that's what makes it so very unique. In, in other times, in different pandemics, it took, uh, you know, a decade sometime from the pandemic to jump from one, uh, let's say, uh, uh, even a continent to another continent. And at this time it took about a couple months until almost uh, there was no single uh, space on, on this planet that was not uh, uh, hit by, by this virus. So this is basically the idea, but 
there are a lot of other studies that were done. A lot of experts were expecting it. The problem is that politically it was not viable to bring it to the up front of the public discourse. There were other things that were in the, in the public discourse that were speaking about the doomsdays, etc., etc. But it was clear to whoever was reading this, this kind of material that it's, it's about to happen because something, you know, we are 8 billion people and, and, and we are eating so much animals. It was only a matter of time. Let me pause here and maybe take you back in, in history uh, to the first uh, decision you've made. How, how did you decide to take uh, this direction and, and learn or study uh, the future or futures? Oh, this is, uh, yeah. Well, it's a personal, uh, uh, let's say, uh, story, but I can share part of it. I was in uh, the first uh, Lebanon war. And our unit, I was in a tank unit, our unit was hit by Israeli airplanes. And in a matter of a few seconds, we had something like 20 casualties and another 100 uh, other people that were hit and injured somewhere, etc. And we were very, uh, you know, we were in shock. I was in the reserve, in a reserve unit, and the minute I... I was, uh, you know, I was told to go home. My father told me, you look, you look, then go to some of our family in, uh, in Europe. And one day just, you know, I was walking. I didn't even know where exactly. And suddenly I see, you know, a big sign saying that uh, in, uh, tomorrow there's going to be an unusual exhibit, the house of the future. Uh, you know, without even any intentions, I, I went into that exhibit and I was, uh, you know, I felt immediately in love because I saw in the early years of the 80s that um, we are going to speak with each other through uh, some kinds of a Zoom or whatever. We're going to, to have a very tiny and a very horrible kinds of uh, of screens with which we are going to play with each other. And I was intrigued how people can know what's going to happen. And then I figured out that there is a whole discipline. I, I, I found a, a place in, in the U.S. to study. It was at the University of Minnesota. And I went to do my PhD over there, and the rest is history. Great. And tell me, how, usually in science, the more educated you are, the narrower is the field that you are dealing with. And in futures, it appears that uh, definitely in your books, there is uh, political and then there is economics and then there is so, uh, such a big variety of topics that you touch. So how do you manage or how do you uh, even being able to, to deal with so many different directions and so many different fields in, in uh, you know, on one plate? Well, you know, I studied future studies in the, in the late 80s. And at that time, uh, speaking about uh, multidisciplinary kind of thinking was really uh, leading edge in sciences. Nowadays, it's not anymore. Everybody is speaking about, you know, multidisciplinary, uh, extradisciplinary, so many, uh, so many terms to 
you know, understanding vast numbers of disciplines in order to understand systems. So this is something that future studies brought into the forefront of, uh, of sciences, because really in the, in, the late, in the late 20th century, sciences tended to, to be very, very disciplinary kind of thinking. Nowadays, it's much more open. People understand that there are cross-disciplines thinking and cross-disciplines uh, uh, studies and research and, and, and expertise. So this, this is the idea. The idea is that if you really want to understand the system, you need to take a look at the system from a vast variety of, uh, of uh, perspectives and disciplines. And that's how, at the beginning, people really didn't understand who we are exactly. They thought, well, you're not an economist. You are not exactly a technologist. You are not exactly an expert in physics. You are not, you are not, you are not. So who, we are, who you are? So you probably are nothing. Nowadays, the, a, lot, a lot of people are really do understand that sometimes you need to see a phenomena from a very large scope of perspectives in order really to understand that phenomena, even though you're not an expert exactly at the very tiny mechanisms of how quantum physics of entanglement is working. doesn't matter. You need to see the large picture. You need to see the forest. And the trees sometimes are really uh, uh, disturbing your, uh, your understanding of, of, of reality. So you, you, you predicted the, uh, and in the time that we were recording, we're very close to the uh, September 11 event. So you predicted that this is going to happen. Were the interdisciplinary or the cross, uh, you know, field assisted you uh, looking into uh, this phenomena? Can this be a good yeah, example? That's, yeah, that's exactly the, the point. You see, part of what we are trying to understand is Uh, if there are some patterns in, uh, in the evolution of systems. Okay, not every time we really understand the logic behind the patterns. Okay, but at least we tend to first understand or see if there are patterns, we validate those patterns, if they are reoccurring again and again and again. And then we are trying to figure out, okay, if it will continue to occur, then this is go what's going to happen. So what we have found in the early 90s is that there is a very interesting pattern in the last 500 years. And that pattern or a cycle, cycle was a cycle of about 80 years. And in those 80 years, there are four epochs in those 80 years, four generations, if you wish. And they are occurring and again, again and again and again the last 500 years. It was the, the seventh time that, that the cycle is, is repeating itself. And the idea basically uh, behind that pattern is that there is a climax always at the 60th year of a cycle that starts, you know, a, a revolution, a fundamental Uh, understanding that, let's say, the geopolitical order, the, the old order, is not working anymore. And it, it, around it takes about 20 years until that cycle totally ends. And most of the time it ends with you know, a, a 
clash between civilizations. So in order to uh, figure out, for, first of all, that, uh, that pattern, you have to understand if there are correla economic correlations. You have to understand if there are psychological correlations, if there are geopolitical correlations, if there are values that are working within that, that, that cycle. And you bring a lot of tiny other cycles in order to generate a very large cycle that its validity is at least uh, 70 to 80 percent. Otherwise, it's, it's something that you can, it's not valid uh, statistically. And that's only one example how people did. It's not, I'm not, I was not the one to, uh, to come up with that cycle. I was just trying to understand, okay, if this cycle is, is correct, what kind of a clash or crisis we're going to see at the 60th year of that cycle? And I used my imagination and I said, okay, there are some symbols of the old uh, world order. And those symbols are uh, the, uh, uh, the Pentagon, the, uh, uh, the White House, you know, and, the, the, uh, and different other places. And I said, so probably somebody is going to try to hit the symbols of the previous or the, the uh, the, the exa existing uh, world order. And that's how we are working. We are using those cycles, those uh, uh, patterns, and trying to understand the logic behind them. Not every time it's easy to do. And we use a little bit of imagination to a little bit, you know, stretch uh, those patterns and see how they might uh, work out in the future. And that's how we work. Now, let's talk after all about technology. So one of your prediction is, is saying that uh, we'll see quantum computing becoming commercial in the relatively near future, let's say the next five years or so. How do you see quantum computing as a whole? And, and why do you think that this is becoming like uh, very shortly as, as uh, something to be commercialized? Okay. The idea is that humanity is evolving through different kinds of paradigms that they are developing. Now, there is logic how those paradigms are evolving. If you recall, everything has some logic. Okay, the idea is whether we can really stumble upon or pinpoint that, that logic. So I'm going to suggest one possible logic how humanity is evolving scientifically. Okay? Humanity as, as a species is stuck in time and space. I am defined by the space I'm put in and by the time I'm, you know, I'm experiencing uh, the space or the environment in which I'm, I'm embedded, all right? But somehow in our psyche, we do not accept that uh, prison as a definite fact. Again, we, and we are thriving, we are constantly trying to break that prison of space and time. So we are trying to do it step by step during history. I don't have time here to show you the whole process that we went from uh, immemorial. 
take a look at this nice technology, okay? This is a technology that breaks that prison. With this technology, we are beaming our voices, our look, our audiovisual kind of existence, and we are actually doing a, a leap of faith in space and time. At this very moment, we are speaking from different places, and the idea is that I'm much more free in space and time. And that's what drives humanity for millennia. Now, I'm going now to, to go to the future because we don't have time to show that that's what exactly we did, technology after technology after technology. Now, what's quantum? Quantum says that there is another way to travel in space-time. Okay, so humanity is thrilled to find new ways, new routes, how to travel in space-time or eliminate those constraints of space-time. And quantum is just another tiny chapter in our evolution, okay? And that's what drives us to develop those technologies. We do not stumble upon those technologies. We are driven to do something unusual, and that then something unusual is to free us from the constraints of time and space. So quantum physics specifically, and more specific if you wish, uh, quantum uh, computing is just another chapter in an infinite route in space-time in which we are experiencing our freedom and we break the prison in which we are put in our existence. And the more there are people, now this is one, uh, um, one aspect. The other aspect is if there, are, there is enough money that is going to back up that, uh, that, that route. And you, when you analyze that the, the economies of nowadays, you see that there is so much money that is, the money that is looking for investment, and you say, oh, that's, that's, that's a backup, okay? And then you see how many people are working or studying physics at, the, at universities worldwide. You count them and you say, wow, that's a large amount of, of people. You see their age, okay? So if their age is between 25 to 35, you know that a lot of them are going to be very creative because this is the age of, of creativity in our life cycle, etc., etc., etc. In that way, you can say that even though people think that it's going to take 50 years to achieve, but there are so many other variables that are in the making that we're going to, to see it much earlier than most people are thinking it's going to be realized. And this is just one idea of how we're working and why quantum realm is something which is just another stage in which we are going to experience time and space in different ways and use it to our benefits. Like we did exactly during the 20th century. In the 20th century, we understood how the atom is working, how the electron is working. And because of it, we have developed uh, Wi-Fi and we have developed uh, you know, uh, different technologies that are so obvious to all of us at this very moment. So give, give me another example. This, is, uh, this, is, uh, this was very interesting. So 
something that uh, you believe is uh, just in front of us and is, is propelling this uh, next wave of things, a technology-related uh, topic that, uh, is going to, uh, that we are all going to face very shortly? Gravity. Let's take gravity. Okay. Okay. We were brought to understand that this is a finite force that is holding us to Earth. Okay. But as any paradigm, as any scientific paradigm, it's only a paradigm. Okay. We really don't understand what gravity is. Now, just think that we're going to understand it a little bit different than we are uh, uh, at this very moment in time, in history. And that way, we're going to develop new technologies that will reflect that understanding, and those technologies will, will bring us into, um, in, into floating in space in a very different way. Okay, because just understanding where is it coming from, that, uh, that force, is going to change a lot of our technologies. If we had time, I would show you a lot of ideas how, first of all, scientific ideas that are trying to push the envelope, how we understand gravity, and other ideas that are already trying to understand what kind of applications we're going to develop because of that new type of understanding, okay? And I'll give you just one example, just, you know, to, to make some sense of what I think. For example, uh, lifters. I don't know if you heard about lifters, okay? Nowadays, we travel in, uh, in the air through aerodynamics, okay? But we are constantly using a lot of energy in order to, uh, to go against the gravity force, okay? But if we will understand a little bit what gravity is, a little bit different. We might do different technologies. One of the technologies that is already in the making and people are already experiencing and developing different kinds of it is called lifters. What people found is that you can, you know, go up in the air without aerodynamics. So it's a very different way to travel in the, in the third dimension. And, and it's going to change the way we're going to develop uh, new uh, airplanes and uh, new, even uh, new, uh, new, new shoes. Because, you know, I, I'm not, I don't have to explain how many people are suffering from their back. Now, if we will develop a shoe that will levitate us a little bit, then we're going to solve a lot. Of, this is one application, but this is a, a tiny one. Look, if, if people just can be... A tenth of Michael Jordan in, in terms of levitation. In <laughs> exactly, yeah. You've mentioned earlier these waves of uh, like eight years. Uh, do you see the same waves also happening or did you identify waves in technology? Like every X, something is happening? Yeah, in technology, there, there are other kinds of cycles, different kinds of cycles. I'll just mention one. It's called the S-curve. Actually, these are curves. We are curves researchers. We are trying to see if there are you know, curves that depict how a system is evolving. So in technologies, generally speaking, there is a very known curve, which is called the S-curve, which says that at the beginning, technology is developing very, very slowly. Okay? Some people call it the, the long tail. And suddenly, 
there is suddenly something is happening and everybody is speaking about how this technology is going to change the world. And then we found that that big time, it takes about a couple of years, something like that in general. And then there is a, another 10 years of disappointment from that technology. But after something around 15 years, suddenly that technology is picking up in an ex exponential way a, a, a curve. And people are starting to find a lot of applications. It's, got, it's, it's starting to be much more accessible to people. And that period of time takes another 15 years, generally speaking. So the cycle of technology is, there, is around 30 years. That's the average one. There are different S-curves and different technologies, but this is how technology evolves. What we have found is that the S-curve have what we call the hyper-S, which means at the time that the technology reaches the height of its uh, life cycle, somewhere else, somebody is starting or another technology is starting the, the long tail. And that way we are evolving, technologies are evolving in S's one upon another. And there are a lot of technologies that you see those, those S's evolving in time. I'm speaking about the same technology, but another generation with another kind of, of, uh, uh, of understanding how to use or how to bring uh, to, uh, to the masses those kind of technologies. Do you consider artificial intelligence to be a technological change or do you see it on a broader perspective? That's another, that, that brings it, me to another uh, driving force of humanity. Okay? As I mentioned before, the uh, productivity age of the average person is between the age of 25 to 35. Okay, don't tell this to my, to my student. They still think I'm, uh, I'm productive. <laughs> or to my employees, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what we found is that during millennia, most of the human beings that used to live in a certain uh, era, that was the main, the main group uh, or cohort on each generation. However, what we have found is that in the 21st century, there is something very significant is in the making. What we found is that that group is shrinking demographically. Okay? It's shrinking because the fertility rate is very low. Okay? There, we used to have five, six, seven, eight kids. Now, on average, in a lot of places worldwide, it's less than the replacement rate, which is 2.1%. Uh, kids for, for each female. So if you don't have enough kids, that means 20 years from now, you don't have enough people that will be very creative and problem solve it, uh, sol uh, solvers. Okay? So this is a driving force that is driving humanity at this point to look for options, problem solving uh, technologies. Technologies that will bring new ideas that, that we, we don't have enough uh, human resources that will be creative in the 21st century based on demographies. Okay, it's going to be different places, different uh, kinds of uh, cohorts, but generally speaking, uh, you know, what we're going to see in the 21st century is the 
the largest cohort that is constantly uh, growing is the, uh, the last uh, cohort in our life cycle, okay, the elderly people. It's already obvious. So the artificial intelligence is a necessity. It's not, but it's, 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 our, it's in our subconsciousness at this point of time. Without it, humanity will not survive in the 21st century. And this is what drives it. Now, the implications of it is, of course, we're going to have a partner. We're going to have a technology that will teach us, that will suddenly uh, uh, make uh, scientific discoveries, and we will have to develop new relationships with that entity, which is, by the way, it's our, it's, it's our making, it, it's our uh, offspring. So we don't have to be, uh, you know, fearful of it. It's like so, there are so many people that, are, a lot of people that are fearful from their kids whenever they start being very smart and very uh, challenging, etc. On the contrary, the more they are challenging you, the more the better because they bring new ideas, they bring new solutions to new problems, etc., etc. This is the way we need to treat our, our technologies. It's our offsprings. We need to take care of them. We need to be very attentive. We need to be very careful about what they're doing. Exactly, exactly with the, as our kids. And at the end, they'll be better than us. <laughs> That's what we are striving, all of us. I don't want to see my kid to be exactly like me. I would like to see him better than me. That's how evolution is progressing. And this, this is actually the same thing with uh, with AI, but AI is just another example of something that we are going to constantly develop. Think about humanity as a species that is just starting its journey in the universe. By all means, the Homo sapiens is what? A few thousand years, a few 10,000 years? It's nothing in terms of you know, cosmic uh, space-time. So we are just at the very beginning of our evolution. And if at the end we are going to be a species so degraded, if you wish, so what? There will be another species better than us. Like we are a species better than the other species that just, you know, disappeared. Thanks for listening to Future of Tech. If you like what you heard and want more, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And if you have any comments or questions, feel free to write to our host, Avishai Sharlin, directly on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.